Welcome to Current Yield Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Year. I am Jim Grant. With me today uh, is Eric Whitehead, man of Control Panel. Eric is has uh, set up shop, has set his control panel up in a uh, highway rest stop within 30 minutes of Schoharie, New York. This is a, a long story that I think I will not trouble you with uh, too much. I, it's, it's actually kind of tedious. But Eric is Eric is um, is on the job, but he's remote, as we say now. We're, I guess he's virtual. And we have the great deputy editor of Grants, as always, Evan Lorenz. And today, we have the, one of the two co-founders of the uh, Economic Cycle Research Institute. His name is Lakshman Akuthan. Now, the, the last name has many syllables, but uh, your, your mnemonic is accuracy. Right? That's, <laughs> that's a, so Lakshman, along with his fellow co-founder, Anurvan Benerji, are in the business of reading the tea leaves of business cycles. And they are students, indeed disciples, of Jeffrey H. Moore, the great uh, business cycle observer and theorist of yesteryear. And they, I think they set up a shop in uh, 1990, maybe. Did you not? Yep. You met uh, Jeffrey in, in 1990, I think. I met him in 1990, which is great in the cycle uh, history because there was a, a recession there, a 1991 recession. I, so I that, that, was a, that was a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> but uh, Lakshman, I, before we get into uh, business of cycles, I want to make an announcement. So we have uh, today here in Schoharie, New York, which is uh, a farming community in upstate. It's kind of between Albany and Cooperstown. We have an Indian summer day. Mm. Now, the nomenclature, I admit it's, it's somewhat uh, controversial these days. One might pause before speaking the word Indian, but uh, still, it's still in common parlance. An Indian summer, Evan, as you know, is a day of, uh, of haze and gentle heat in September, October, or November. And the, uh, the technical definition, or the semi-technical definition, is that it must follow a killing frost. Now, killing frost is not just 32 degrees. We have been to 32 degrees here. It has to be like 28 or 30 and, and, and sustained enough to you know, do damage to crops. So I would say this is a not quite Indian summer day because we've been to 32, a light frost, and you can see the soybean fields. But I just wanted you guys to know that, um, that things are lovely up here in Schoharie, New York. But uh, uh, Lakshman, are things yeah. not lovely in the United States economy? What do you think? Well, I, you know, I, I think they're getting better. Um, I think for, uh, you know, in very big picture, it's getting better for about half of the people involved in the economy. And it's not clearly getting better for, for the other half. And, and that's the so-called kind of K, um, you know, what I would actually call a many Ks recovery. But from a strictly cyclical point of view, are we going up or going down? Uh, we are continuing to recover. And that's something, you know, we had Actually, back in the in the dark days, right of April and and so on, we had uh, surmised that this would be a pretty short recession, and that has turned out to be true. Um, I think of late, people are are looking at um, this high frequency kind of coincident data, which may even be a little bit more focused on the services or people facing um, kind of activity, and they're and they're getting a little kind of worried. Um, because that that looks a little wonky. But if you look at the good cyclical indicators for the overall economy, in particular for the goods sector, manufacturing, construction, you get a very clear classic textbook business cycle recovery underway. It's underpinning a recovery in the overall economy. Now, Lakshmi, would you say the recession is over? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When might, uh, yeah. When when might the uh, the business cycle people whose word is writ in these things when when would the yeah the uh, dating committee um 
Yeah, it's going to be a tough one because uh, first off, it'll take a while, right? Because there's a ton of revisions in right, the big... but but you're you're thinking like uh, from March to June, maybe the or March to July. I mean, it's like a three or four month. Yeah, practice. maybe it's February. Maybe it's just a few months, which would be really weird. But if nothing, the last uh, you know 2020 has been weird, right? And and so it's not typical that you would have that short of a recession. And I think right there, um, give everybody a lot of pause on dating it quickly, uh, let alone the revisions to the big coincident data, GDP and jobs and and income and sales. These things are going to get revised for a year or more. So you're not going to get anything official for a while, but you know, we still have to deal with the markets and the economy outside our window today, even though it's beautiful where you are, and make a decision as to what we think is going to happen. And uh, I'm telling you, the recession's over. We're in a recovery. That's what the cycle indicators are saying. It's really grounded in the industrial sector of the economy. Uh, And, you know, not unlike past recessions, the early going in the recovery, you know, it has a little bit of a V-shape. Okay, because you're coming off of these lows, and in this case, very extreme lows. So, yeah, that's going to happen. And the question always is, what comes next? And if you own something like a share price or a or a home or some commodities, those prices are going up. Um, so that feels a little bit better. If you own a house outside of the city, you know, as if those prices are going up in particular versus inside the city. Um, if you've got some exposure to the goods sector, eh, you know, things are getting you know, there's, there's, there's activity services, not quite as clear. Uh, People keep on saying that, you know, we, we, this is a service economy. Yeah. And if the service economy is, uh, Devin, you've got some thoughts on this, you know, I mean, um, yeah, I I mean, it's clear that we're having a rebound in the industrial sector in part, because when you shut down the economy, businesses still were selling products and they uh, now need to restock. So now there's kind of a restocking part of that. Um, but on the services side, we still have large parts of the economy kind of on life support, whether that's like cruise lines, hotels, the airline industry, theaters. Um, so many parts of the economy are still laying off people and it doesn't seem like there's a bottom yet reached. It's kind of a weird dichotomy. Absolutely. 100%, right? So so we have the specific story of this cycle, which is as you just described. And on the service sector side, I think we still, uh, you know, we all suspect that there's a lot of small businesses that did not make it or will not make it. And that's going to really make it difficult to just simply turn the switch back on, open them up. If you build it, they will come kind of approach. Totally unclear and probably slow going, as you say. On the goods side, you know, there wasn't enough, you know, there were inventory and supply chain stuff that was going on. A lot of people are doing this do-it-yourself stuff at home and demand all of a sudden spikes there. You know, I was listening to a story the other day about how peanut butter demand spiked like a lot because everybody's making sandwiches for their kids at home. So the, all those idiosyncrasies are happening right here, right now. And, and they're overlapping with, as I said earlier, the early stage of a recovery is always a V. But once you get a few quarters into it, uh, or maybe a year at most... After that, the cycle owes you nothing, and you're going to go back to whatever the big structural patterns were. And unfortunately, those were kind of easing to the downside. And um, 
you know, it's a, there's no good reason why that's changed. I would like uh, to say something about uh, peanut butter and jelly, which <laughs> people may say they're making for their kids, but actually, come on, actually, you know, there's a, there's a lot of PB&J eating on the part of grownups. I have uh, been known to, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hey, um, uh, with regard to, um, uh, you know, what comes next, like, there are so many oddities, in fact, so many unique sightings in this cycle. One of them, of course, is the... Uh, it is the most strenuous monetary policy we have had, um, which has given us these uh, negligible interest rates and ultra-low bond yields and, um, and skyrocketing stock prices. Like One of the time-honored uh, consequences of very easy money is, uh, is an inflationary impulse. And I know that uh, you at uh, ECRI, Economic Cycle Research, is to follow inflation and try to predict it. What's the outlook? Well, you know, and the bot- let me get the punchline first, and let me, then, then, then let me fill it in. There is uh, an inflation cycle upturn that is starting now, a cyclical upturn. So it's not uh, necessarily runaway inflation. Uh, it's a cyclical directional upturn uh, in inflation. There's a ton of nuances that are specific to this cycle. So peanut butter and prices have gone up a little more than other things. But let's not forget, you know, we, we had this recent, you know, kind of adjustment in the Fed's view of things. Um, and it's clear that they continue to deal in irony, Right. I don't want to hurt anybody here, but if they can remember back to 2012, um, the Fed adopted a 2% inflation target and inflation promptly began a long undershoot of that target for the rest of the decade. And now, apparently having learned something from that, Mr. Powell and, and the Fed announced a resolve to keep rates near zero until 2023. And it's right on cue, again, for the irony <laughs> fans out there, that ECRI's future inflation gauge which is in, by the way, uh, Jim, as you know, it's in, it's in the centerfold of grants now for decades. That has really perked up. And that is telling us that the inflation upswing is going to continue uh, for now. The key strength of the FIG is the directional timing of cyclical turns in inflation. How the future high inflation gauge. FIG is future, future inflation. Yep. Yeah. Big is, you know, I'm always thinking about food, right? (laughs) And Dr. Moore was too. So the FIG, the future inflation gauge, as long as this keeps rising, uh, we don't see any fresh inflation downturn in sight. And so even though, circling back to Evan's uh, comment on uh, services jobs and stuff, so even though those are not going gang, uh, we still have an inflation cycle upturn. And, And there's basically two scenarios that we're looking at. Either uh, the fig turns down in, in coming months and inflation will calm down. But if the fig keeps rising, inflation could put the Fed in an uncomfortable position, even with their new average inflation kind of policy formation. What what level uh, of inflation would put the Fed in an uncomfortable position? The Fed has been rooting inflation on. It's like uh, cheering for it. So are yeah. you talking three percent, four percent? You're talking five percent. What's what's going to happen? You know, you know, it. it I need a I need a precise. Uh, I need a precise number, and we don't deal. You know, we're. <laughs> I could tell you, look, it's going up, so you don't get run over by a bus looking the other way. Okay. But I can't tell you it's two, three, four, five. I think you know they're kind of giving up and saying, okay, we'll watch inflation expectations. I think, and on that score. You know, the thing about a cycle, once it gets going, everybody thinks, oh, yeah, it's just going to go forever. So at some point in the rise, the cyclical rise in inflation, especially if it persists for a little bit, uh, those 
concerns will manifest in some of those uh, expectations or or whatnot. And then the jawboning will start where, you know, we like it a little bit over 2%. We don't like it a lot over 2%. But Lashman and, and Evan, you know, this, this, uh, one of the peculiarities of this or singularities of uh, this year was, uh, uh, was this uh, it, it powerful monetary jolt for uh, several months, uh, rates of growth in broad money were in excess of uh, 25, 30% year over year. Nothing like it in modern peacetime American history. So we had the lowest rates, the lowest rates according to the history of interest rates by Sidney Homer and Richard Sell, lowest rates in 4,000 years, uh, on which is overlaid the fastest money growth in modern peacetime American history. And wouldn't you think that this might spell trouble for those who are buying so many treasuries at such low yields. You have a, an opinion on the bond market, which has mm. been, by the way, in fairness to the bond market and to those who have been bullish on, has been about the best place to be for oh, 39 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, so, And that's where I had done a little um, back and forth earlier in the conversation between cyclical and structural. And on a cyclical basis, there looks to be some sort of wobble here. On a structural longer term basis, there's nothing that has fundamentally changed decline from the um, labor force growth, demographics and immigration, that decline, that declining trend, and productivity growth, right? Are we better or are we, are we getting more productive each hour as a nation? As a, and there you get into all of the insidious stuff around this easy money, low rates, because typically you would see a recession in part have this cathartic quality of getting rid of the less productive stuff and focusing on the more productive stuff. But when you have rates, um, you know, for kind of free money, then you get into all that zombie capacity, zombie company stuff. And, um, and then it's really hard to invest to make yourself more productive because uh, of all that excess capacity. So we get a bit in a trap here. I think you on a s structurally, nothing has really changed. More and more debt growth for less and less actual growth. But you can have these cycles in inflation. And I think uh, here, the FIG is warning us. Basically, look, you have a business cycle upturn and an inflation cycle upturn. It's a reflation moment, cyclically. Yeah. But I don't know how long it's going to last. We have to watch. Well, actually, yeah. What, what, would, uh, what would foretell a change in the structural picture? If you could tell me all of a sudden that workforce growth was going to jack up and you know, that's demographics and immigration, which you can kind of look at the lay of the land on both of those, and the trends are not to the upside. And then you could look at productivity growth. Can you give me a scenario? And I am the most hopeful guy around, okay? I would love to hear a scenario of how productivity growth is going to rise on a sustained basis, because demographics growth plus productivity growth by definition, tells you what your long-term trend growth is. And in the developed world in particular, and the whole world, actually, that trend is declining. It's not accelerating. Right, but that's, that's, that's real. That is, that is what makes us a wealthier or a poorer society. But we're talking about something that is uh, partly psychological. We're talking about the uh, governmentally sponsored theft of the purchasing power of money. That's one way of looking at inflation. <laughs> Hundred percent. So right. Hundred percent. Right. right. So isn't I mean, money is a, is a, is, a, is a something that's a psychological dimension. If people trust the money, they trust the stewards of the money at the Federal Reserve, or they don't. And uh, isn't it possible that a structural change could occur without 
um, improvement or disimprovement in demographics and or productivity? Uh, not in terms of economic growth. You could have a big structural shift in the way people perceive this currency or that currency. Um, but there's always, always the question like, what's your alternative, right? And the alternatives are kind of limited, right? You know, we're in the system we're in. Yeah. And so here we are. And, and maybe, you know, if the volatility gets squeezed out of the bond market, it gets squeezed out of even the stock market, right? Because you've discounted all the future cash flow to the present values. The volatility looks like it sits inside of commodity prices and perhaps exchange rates, relative exchange rates. Kevin, yeah, can I throw another spanner to the conversation, both in terms of uh, inflation <laughs> yeah. and the cycle? Yeah. So one of the things that made this recovery and this recession so unusual was we had unemployment jump up to double-digit rates very rapidly. But at the same time, government transfer payments were so big that personal income actually rose despite the fact that uh, unemployment shot up. But now the um, extra $600 a week in uh, supplementary unemployment benefits has expired. Most state unemployment benefit programs only last for six months. And because most people who went on the rolls in March and uh, April are going to start rolling off this month and next month. Um, is there a risk that we have a double dip recession? And what does that mean both for kind of the cyclical outlook and for the outlook for inflation? Yeah, and there's always a risk. Look, I am literally the guy who's looking for the next turning point. So um, we're looking for any sign of a downturn in economic growth, the so-called double dip recession. Uh, I don't have it yet. I will let you know. I, I will raise my hand and let you know, but it's not in the forward-looking data yet because in particular, the industrial upturn, the good sector upturn, manufacturing, construction in the U.S. and global industrial growth outside are all cycling to the upside. When you speak about the transfer payments, and it's 100% true, of course, if they were persistent and ongoing, that would be a different situation. But now, um, what it ends up with is that, you know, those that were relying, and I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but let's say it's about half of consumers were really relying on that. They're obviously not going to be able to keep up that rate of spending. The other half have, uh, you know, they didn't really need it that much. And they've actually saved quite a bit of money in, in recent months. The savings rate there is, is significant. And if, that's a big if, they start to spend it, it could more than make up for the half that is having trouble uh, spending. And so in aggregate, the recovery continues. That's again, the K-shaped recovery. We have an election That's coming up and, and uh, sorry, Evan, and let me add this one thing, but election coming up and, and if, if half the people are disaffected and uh, nearly jobless or uh, fretful about uh, lifeline to work, um, and if this election goes in uh, what's called an anti-enterprise direction, um, how does that figure into your uh, forward, forward thinking? Yeah, so again, we, Jim, we're always looking at these objective indicators, which do have an element of, you know, trying to figure out the psychology, how people feel yeah. uh, going into the cycle indicators. And um, so far, when you add it up, it's a continued recovery. And I'll, and I'll recall in 2016, uh, these indicators were pointing up. They were pointing to a growth rate cycle upturn. Um, there had also been an inflation cycle upturn. And the, and the received wisdom following Mr. Trump's election um, was that the emerging markets were going to get trashed because of you know, the, the, the campaign and, and some of the messaging. But when we looked at our cycle indicators, they were actually, the emerging market cycle indicators were actually stronger than the developed markets. And lo and behold, emerging markets outperformed. So I trust the indicators. 
they're telling us by hook or by crook, the cycle is going to continue going up for now. Well, it's, it's well known that Trump loves a lot of these countries. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. This is, this is fabulous. And uh, so, Lakshman, um, concerning uh, interest rates, I say, and I'm the proprietor of Grant's Interest Rate Observer, I say that rates are the most consequential prices in uh, in, in capitalism, and, and they are universally under the thumb of central banks. And uh, this would be called price control, except that people don't call the suppression of mm-hmm. interest rates price control. So mm-hmm. I have a question for you. What do you reckon to be the long-term consequences of interest rates that you can scarcely see? I mean, you know, the, I don't think it's great because I think you do get the zombification, which traps us in unproductive capacity. And that's a real long-term structural problem. Um, because we really do need to get our aggregate productivity growth going in the right direction on a sustained basis. Now, look, we know that real rates, like if we look right now, what's going on, we know real rates and inflation expectations in recent months have been, you know, totally kicked around by what's going on with the Fed and their buying. Now, that's totally, as you say, messed up the pricing. Um, But the FIG isn't tripped up by that. It's telling us we have a clear signal of an inflation cycle upturn. We have a clear signal on the growth, economic growth side of a continued recovery. Things are going to get interesting here. You know, one of the, one of the many reasons I wish uh, that Dr. Jeffrey Moore were still around with us, besides being such a, uh, a knowledgeable and wise and, uh, and kind and even sweet man, <laughs> is that he was around doing business in the early 1960s. And this, to me, is a fascinating episode in our cyclical history. For five consecutive years, the years uh, 1960 or 61 through 65, I think, inclusive, uh, the year-over-year CPI, as measured then, uh, registered no reading as high as 2% and many readings below 1%. Now, this, nowadays, that would, that would elicit um, much uh, chin-stroking and, and concern on the part of the Federal Reserve that we were entering some sort of deflationary chasm. But from these five years of uh, seemingly uh, seeming absolute price stability uh, came the great inflation of the late 60s through the 1970s, 15 years of mostly high, certainly of accelerating, and certainly concerning inflation, right? So the seeds of this inflation were sown in bed, the seed bed of, of perfect tranquility and seemingly a seeming central bank control over everything. It was the height of Keynesian fine-tuning, right? So what say you to the proposition that the fruit or the, 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 uh, the consequence of today's ultimately or ultra-low yields is going to be an episode of structurally high inflation, as we revealed, and of rising bond yield. Is that a possibility warrant a moment of concern on the part of the world that owns so many low-yield insecurities? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not saying never say you know that that, that can't happen. I'm saying we're going to follow the future inflation gauge, and right now directionally it's up. Uh, it may be in that period in the 60s, that five-year period you're talking about, um, then there was this uh, little so-called mini recession before we had the actual recession in 69 uh, ahead of all the actually you know, frequent recessions in the 70s with all that high inflation. So it can get really uh, dramatic. Japan, the Japanification where they have low interest rates for a long time, has had five or six recessions since the great financial crisis. So it gets kind of weird, these situations. And um, 
you know, right now, for lack of any other policy, we're just crushing interest rates. And it's not a long-term solution at all. Yeah. Uh, and people will, you know, that's why I'm, I'm pointing to exchange rates and commodity prices. That's where you might see some action. Yes, that is interesting. The idea that uh, volatility cannot be suppressed throughout the spectrum of financial prices or commodity prices, but must uh, assert itself somewhere. Intriguing, as has been so much of what you've had to say to us, Dave Washman. Thank you. And please say hello to Anurvan Banerjee. I will fellow co-founder of Economic Cycle Research Institute. I urge you, ladies and gentlemen, to log on to the ECRI, the ECRI site, and just, uh, you know, and uh, have a ball. <laughs> so, Washman, thank you. And Evan, thank you. Eric, from the rest stop along route whatever it is, thank you. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, we'll talk to you again soon. This is Jim Grant on behalf of Current Yield Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. 